We are live. Good to see you today, my EOS podcast friends. Today we've got a special show. We've got Nicholas and David from Ultra, which is a game ecosystem built on EOS. Uh, because I love video games, this will be one of my favorite podcasts. So enjoy. Um, Nicholas and David, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and we'll get started here. Hey, hi, Brennan. Thank you for having us today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, we uh, actually David and myself. So I've been the founder in the in the company in Ultra, but we've been working together for a very long time already. Uh, we started off actually playing Counter Strike, uh, so <laughs> the game aspect started a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started creating so teams in Counter Strike. After that, we created companies. Uh, the very first one was in the uh, I would say SEO slash web design. Uh, this company got acquired by the financial group in uh, in Belgium, and afterwards we decided to move to China. Uh, that's where we started uh, to create uh, game companies. So the very first one was a mobile game studio. Then uh, we created a PC game studio, uh, which later on was acquired by Kingsoft, uh, which is like kind of the Microsoft of China. Um, and afterwards we transitioned into um, bigger project, which was a game console that was created in partnership with AMD. And this console was specifically dedicated for the Chinese market. Uh, so we raised around 120 million somewhere uh, to create this this big, big company and project. Um, the thing is, so we had uh, created this game, basically hardware. And afterward, uh, we had at the same time created the game distribution platform. So like when you have, you know, a game console, you also need to buy games and sell games within the ecosystem. And so essentially, we already created the first piece of what will become later on Ultra. Wow. So as a team, you two have basically gone from playing Counter-Strike to building hardware to this is kind of this is all the way down the road to building this uh, Ultra game ecosystem on the blockchain. That's pretty it's a pretty cool journey. How long? So how long has that been? What, what's, what's the time span in years you guys have been working on this type of stuff together? So here we I started... In, in between, there's, there's also a video game studio that, that we did oh, nice. that later got acquired by Kingsoft, which is kind of like Microsoft of China. Uh-huh. Um, and our tech has been integrated in one of their, um, in their lead title uh, so yeah, so we've been operating in a game industry for now ten years, something like that. And uh, before that, in B two B type of businesses. Man, you guys are living the dream. I like it. That's so cool. Um, I'm a big video game fan, so uh, you know, seeing you guys have kind of touched all the different parts of it. It's pretty neat. Um, so we'll uh, we'll get deep into e, uh, Ultra here, obviously, but um, I usually like to kick off the show and ask what your favorite thing going on in EOS and what you're most excited about in EOS is right now. So um, what is that? Okay, I'm very excited by the improvement that are being done on the um, transaction uh, throughput. So we're looking today at the EOS Jungle, for example, we can see um, the latest improvement um, on the network tech um, allowed them to achieve now uh, about 9,200 transactions per second, um, which is uh, you know phenomenal. Um, and this is just the beginning. So that's one technical aspect that's really great that I'm looking forward to, um, to leverage. <laughs> uh, and then also what we can see is 
um, overall in the development ecosystem, it's um, we're starting to see more and more developers um, that have actual experience on doing smart contracts. You know, a couple of, um, you know, when the platform was launched, um, the EOS was launched, the mainnet, we could see developers that had two or three months um, development experience. They were kind of like the senior developers. <laughs> so, so it was a very tough um, environment to start developing because everybody's learning. Um, nobody really knows how it works. Nobody knows the source code. And, and we see a maturity. Um, I mean, if you can see, it's the, call it maturity, but yeah, you, you can see more and more people with a year of development experience or half a year is very common. So this is something that's great on a platform um, level, especially because we're working on an ecosystem um, you know, on t you know, in, in addition to the game distribution aspect of our platform, there's an ecosystem. And so um, having more developers um, with experience on EOS um, is something very positive for us, but also, of course, generally speaking for the EOS ecosystem. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's taken off fast, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we can, we can totally see a shift from uh, developers from other blockchains moving to to EOS. Now, we can also notice that um, you know the struggle we started with EOS. Um, if you look at the purest um, centric view, you you remember when EOS was announced and kind of the way how it worked, it was like a sacrilege <laughs> for many blockchain people. Yeah. Like, how can you do this? Is not decentralized and. And actually, um, Dan's decision were, you know, very um, reasonable. You know, at the end of the day, if you want to actually run, you know, solid businesses, true businesses, there are some decisions that needs to be taken. And there are some things that you need, you need, you need to accept. And I think he, he strike the right balance. And today we can see that people start to really understand, okay, actually, you know, this is actually not that bad. And, you know, when you look at how um, um, miners are actually centralizing the power also on like uh, the so-called um, fully decentralized platforms, we can see that it actually totally makes sense. And, and developers, um, you know, when you see, you know, the migration of developers from, you know, from, Ethereum, for example, to to EOS, you can clearly see that it's been it's being approved completely by the dev ecosystem and and generally speaking by the business side of um, of um, you know the ecosystem because without a real business need, the developers wouldn't go on the platform as well. So, yeah, that's something we can see that's being confirmed right now very strongly on the EOS. What's that? What's the developer migration look like from ETH to EOS? Like, how are you actually? I've I've heard about that, but how are you actually seeing it within the community within the developer community? Okay, so <clears throat> there is something that um, so not everybody will do the migration simply because of a lack of um, programming skills um, or you know EOS. Um, require C++ programming skills if you want to do it, you know, on a platform. There are, there are alternative solutions out there, but, you know, the, 
<coughs> sorry, the actual platform requires C++ or um, you know it's based on C++ language. So if you if you go if you move from something that's like JavaScript like and you move to something that's C++, you know there is a learning curve. This said, um, and again, this is specifically for the game industry. A lot of games are actually built on C++. So uh, game developers as a whole um, are very um, like um, used to work uh, to develop a C++ based application. And so the learning curve is really, um, you know, about what the platform is, how pieces work together. And then if you're a C++ programmer, you know, you can just program, um, you know, right away your smart contracts. Um, but then on a, on a larger on a larger view, we can also notice that a lot of developers are very very young actually, and many of them just barely start programming. So while they were learning, you know, to program um, Ethereum smart contracts. Many of them, you know, found out, well, maybe I should learn, um, you know, programming on EOS, which means instead of learning, you know, JavaScript type of languages, you know, they go for the C++. So, so which is also very good because it feeds the C++ ecosystem developer, development ecosystem, which is good for the game industry. So the, the full circle closes. Yeah, well, that's, and do you think that the hackathons, the EOS hackathons have been pushing that forward? Do you think it's the usability of the blockchain or what do you think is drawing the developers? Well, the hackathons are, you know, often hackathons are, are designed for a purpose. Um, you should look at who are paying for these hackathons and then you, you, you can imagine maybe what the purpose is. Maybe they are looking for talents, you know, who they might want to hire. Um, maybe they are looking for IDs, um, you know, of applications. Maybe they are looking to just, um, you know, build the ecosystem by putting some price money and, you know, ex and building some momentum attracting new developers on the platform. So every hackathon has a purpose and, and you know, but at the same time, it's, a, it's great. It's, um, it's positive for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you mentioned the uh, transactions for a second and that's been uh, nice on the jungle test net to see it, it increasing. Um, the jungle two just hit a new trans uh, transaction record in testing recently. Um, what are the limits? Are you limited in, in gaming on what can be built um, or how it can be built with the transaction speed right now? Is there plenty or what's that look like? Um, so um, you, yeah, so you will always have this question on what are you going to send on the blockchain and what are you going to do off blockchain? So it really depends on every game, I suppose. Um, but the transaction, um, like throughput, is something that for games is going to be um, very important because it's fine. You know, games can very easily consume a lot of transactions, but you know, you multiply that by hundred thousand, you know, ten thousand, because you accumulate games over time, right? And so, as a result, you are going to be affected you know substantially 
by by the the limitation of the the throughput capacity so so it is something that's important and um i i would you know i would say if we're reaching a hundred thousand transactions per second uh we're, we would start to be like if able to be in a comfort zone where we're like okay now we're getting somewhere a lot of additional transaction could be added in the in the in the game and um, you wouldn't have to be like so scarce on what you know what you do and what you don't do on the blockchain but um, yeah so I'm, I'm hoping this would happen you know within a year or something we will see okay yeah so we're at about 9,000 in, in some change right now um, mm -hmm. so what what's an example of something that you would put on the blockchain with that much TPS and something that you would leave off of the blockchain and that might be in the future as we scale? Okay. Well, let's give a very, um, very good example, which is part of a discussion we have right now with a game publisher. So you have an MMO and you tokenize, uh, virtual items. Now, um, the the particular MMO we're we're talking to we're speaking about um, like tons of transactions per second, um, and just for moving uh, virtual items. And so this is a problem. So what what we need to do at this point is to um, tokenize only really valuable items. Okay. So because in MMOs you will have trash items, right? And the stuff that you, you get and essentially you just go to a shop, you, you drop it and you get some gold. And so this type of item would not have any, you know, reason to be on the blockchain. Um, but let's imagine we're in the perfect world and we have like tons of transactions, like way more than we need. It would allow developers to simplify their system because here what we need to do is to have a hybrid between what goes on database and what goes on the blockchain. And that's, uh, you know, added um, complexity to the system. And if there's no limit, then, you know, you just put everything there and you have only one system and you just rely on that single system. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. That'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens down the road when, when you can put every single item on the blockchain, there may be people just, uh, packing, you know, houses full of all kinds of small little, small little uh, low value items and trying to, you know, build wealth that way or something. So there might be some weird, con <laughs> there might be some weird consequences once that starts happening. Like, uh, I know back in the day, like in World of Warcraft, there was, uh, I think even Brandon Bloomer was part of it, but big mining, um, op big gaming operations where people would go in and mine gold basically as a company. Um, so. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is something actually that's been solved. Um, this, because it has an impact on the game economy. Mm -hmm. So um, you will have farmers that are going to farm for specific items, start selling them, and the price might go up, the price might go down, um, and you kind of have to deal with it as a game developer. You know, how do you balance the game? How how do you change your drop rates and if you're flooding the net, the, the the game with a particular weapon everybody wants, maybe it's so powerful, um, everybody gets it, and so you need to start balancing you know, how the the monsters are, how powerful they are, you know, and so it it, it affects everything. So, um, but there are strategies that you can 
um, apply using um, blockchain technologies, which we will um, uh, have in our SDK that allow you to um, not care that a black market would um, exist because you, you would profit from it. Because that's where the whole problem really is. If you sell um, items um, and, and then on the side you have, um, you know, these miners who collect all of these virtual items for free and then sell them outside of your market, you're actually, essentially they are making money out of your game, you know, where you don't profit anything from. And so there are ways where you can, you know, even ensure that the people who sell these virtual items outside of the game still would bring profit to you with blockchain. And so once you embrace this fact um, that people are going to uh, farm these virtual items, but you're going to profit from them, at that point, you can start balancing the game completely differently. And, and then the farmers are actually something you wouldn't have to fight uh, anymore because they, they generate profit for you. Players are buying it, so obviously they are happy about that. And so everybody becomes happy at that point. Interesting. And that sounds like, I mean, that's probably a pretty good segue into Ultra and the website ultra.io. That's the uh, company that you guys are, have put on to e the EOS blockchain. Um, can you give a description of what Ultra is and, and what problem it's solving? Sure. Sure thing. Uh, so yeah, so <laughs> uh, so Ultra, as you could see on the website, so is a game distribution platform. Um, also, the main difference is what you have right now, because the current competitors are, for example, Steam, so which uh, which is the largest uh, game distribution platform right now, a little bit like the Apple App Store, but for PC games specifically. And so, <coughs> excuse me, the the main difference is that we provide a solution. Uh, to the discoverability issue that uh, reigns currently in the PC game industry. So game developers spend a lot of money to create games. Afterwards, they have to do the marketing of their games and that's another turn of money. And so right now they have to work with a publisher that can pay for that and can reach all the marketing channels to actually promote the game. Uh, so that's pretty painful because you have like 500 games, uh, I believe every month released on Steam. So very hard for them to get noticed. So which means they have to find someone, they have to give up a lot of their shares of the pie to someone, to a middleman, which is the publisher. Um, the second point as well is that the commission fees are very, are very high uh, in the game industry specifically. If you go, for example, on the, um, the Microsoft store, you're gonna have maybe five to 15% a ref share for, um, for Microsoft, if it's an app. But as soon as it's a game, we bump it to 30% just because it's a game. <laughs> so people understood that and the platform took advantage of it. And so right now we are, putting back, um, I would say, the power in the hands of the developers, providing them with a real um, revenue opportunity, as well as providing all the solution and tools uh, for them to promote their games by themselves. So if I may take one example, is um, one of the features on the platform, for example, uh, provide a capacity for Twitch uh, streamers or YouTubers or bloggers or podcasts, uh, anyone basically who want to promote a game uh, to earn revenue from that. So it brings revenue to the to someone who's already having a business but can actually track it down using the blockchain to make sure 
every time there is a transaction happening on the blockchain, they can track it, they can make sure they get paid for it. And at the same time for the game developer, he can rely on someone else to promote his game. So he doesn't have to pay upfront for the, the marketing. Uh, he has someone who will handle that for him and they're gonna do that for every games because a highly successful games, for example, as uh, many people want to talk about it, but obviously a small game gonna have less people. So this better opportunity for the blogger or the Twitch, you know? So th this, these are the kind of uh, features we created within the platform. And at the same time, so this is something that provide, I would say, tremendous value to the, the game developers. But we also thought about what would be great for a player. So player, they are, they are there, they're, they're happy to play games, but oftentimes they don't have enough money neither to buy the game they want. Or oh, there's this new game, there's new items I want to buy. I want to participate to a tournament, uh, this costs money. And so we provided within Ultra a solution for players to earn money by using the platform. So for example, uh, they will watch an advertisement. They will, um, I don't know, they will, for example, participate to a beta test. And so when they report bugs, when they uh, do the market survey for the developers, they actually earn tokens. So this provides them the capacity to actually earn more money and participate to the ecosystem. Oh, I cannot hear you anymore. <laughs> yeah, you muted. Okay. Yeah, Brandon, we still can't hear you. We can see you speak though. You're on mute on the Zoom application, actually. Oh, okay. Okay, yep. can you guys hear me? Yep, perfect. All right, sorry about that. Well, I gotta do my little, I'll take my hat off then I can find it in editing and cut that blank space out there. Um, all right. We are back on. Um, so you you were uh, talking about the um, how how the publisher kind of sits in the middle and takes profit. Do you and and how that hurts is that it uh, kind of puts a barrier for entry to the smaller games. So we're getting a, a not as we're just kind of seeing the big games. I guess that's discoverability. There. Do you see the same? Do you see that analogous to what we see, like let's say in the book industry, where you kind of see all the bestsellers, but the you know the indie books don't really end up getting seen because there's a publisher sitting in the middle. Is that absolutely? Mm -hmm. But yeah. so you also need to make a difference between the distributor and the publisher. So we are distributors. Okay. On top of that, there might be a publisher who will handle all the marketing and who will promote maybe organize events and things like that. So what we are and what Steam is, is a we are distributors. And then developers could have a publisher. So Amazon is a distributor too. Um, and so you, you often need a publisher because, um, because you need to promote it. And so with our solution, um, maybe many game developers wouldn't need uh, a publisher and they, they, they would skip that revenue share that would go to them. Um, but yes, so we're, we're, uh, one of our core uh, goal with the platform is solving discoverability issues, um, the same kind of issues that you would have with books, absolutely. Interesting. Um, you were also talking about the um, about the the black market and how that exists and how um, this this will change the incentives or actually make that be okay because it sounds like what you were saying is that the game developers are going to be able to continue to take a, a portion of the revenue 
um, for these transactions as, as opposed to them going offline. So can you talk a little bit more about how that works? Yeah, so um, on the blockchain, what, what we do is that we can allow the, our developers, when they tokenize virtual items, they can decide whether or not these items can be traded. And then they can decide whether or not, you know, there is a minimum price to that. And then finally, they can decide whether or not they want a rev share from that. So let's imagine you have a, you have a item, like a weapon, okay? And you say, well, the minimum price is $1 and I want 30% from that. And so if the user wants to move this item from one user's inventory to another, the blockchain will require one payment in during this transaction. And because at that point, the money goes through the blockchain, the smart contract can then split that revenue and give a part to the developer. So really, there is no way for you to not, you know, um, like um, um, pay the developer because of this mechanism. So developers are now, are now certain that whatever you're doing, you know, they can earn what, you know, they have the right to, to ask. And, and on the user end, the, the people, uh, the users are paying a fee to transfer this generally anyway. The difference is that right now it's going onto a platform like Steam that's just, uh, that's just a trading platform. It's, it's not going to developers. So it's not about really maybe the users having to pay more, but it's about the, the correct people getting the payment. Is that right? Yeah, so right now, actually, if you sell items on Steam, um, Steam is taking a, sh a cut from that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be exactly the same, but um, in our solution, this item could be traded through many other virtual item stores. So the virtual items are starting to be traded in all kinds of stores, and these stores support different kind of uh, tokenized items. So the beauty of this is that you can have, um, you tokenize your game and suddenly uh, your, your uh, virtual item and then suddenly tons of stores list your item somewhere. So if I own this, this virtual item, I can set it for sale and then actually tons of people are going to try to sell it for you. So it is really great because um, you know, you don't have to, again, be the one responsible for uh, organizing the sale of this item. There will be the uh, ecosystem that will be glad taking a rev share from this single transaction. And they would repeat it like a million times a day and, and earn, you know, um, like profits from, from this business. So it's yeah. really a very, um, a very open ecosystem where we welcome innovation and where we welcome businesses profiting around um, the these these different types of um, of um, um, like uh, transactions yeah I would say that's something that we didn't touch right now it's, which is not super highlighted I believe on the website neither um, so the big difference with what you have right now on the market such as team and other platforms is that they are doing one thing which is a game distribution platform and essentially what ultra is is a full game ecosystem so we provide us so uh, we integrate basically third-party application within the same ecosystem. So for a player, once he joins the ecosystem, he doesn't only have access to uh, buying games and launching games, 
he has access to the news, he has access to forums, he has access to all the different uh, communication aspects. But also we can integrate, for example, a Twitch, or a betting platform, or for example, item trading platform, a tournament platform. So all those uh, third-party applications created by third-party companies will be living inside one ecosystem. So for the player, it's fully transparent. You join one, you have access to everything right away. It's much more simple. Well, wow, yeah, that <clears throat> means also that um, any US-based um, game-related uh, project um, would be able to leverage our use, user base. So we have the users, we have the game. Um, they can come with their product. You know, they use US token, whatever. That's fine. They can come and integrate their service on our platform. And then our users, they have their, um, you know, ultra wallet. Um, and they can pay these other services with their ultra wallet. So it's very convenient um, um, for for other developers um, to acquire new users through through the integration in our platform. And are you so um, you have a wallet and there's going to be a native token? Is that right? That's gonna that's gonna facilitate some of this. Yeah. So we have our own native token, um, but we also support US tokens. So at one point you will be able to buy. Um, games with us tokens um we will start with ours um but at one point you know you you will be able to buy games with us as well so on the same smart contract and then um in the meantime you can you know sell your us based services on our ecosystem and just charge us tokens so our wallet will support different tokens um, um in the same place Nice. Um, a little bit earlier, you mentioned the um, kind of the the game mechanics. So if there was a bunch of uh, you said if the swords got more powerful than the, you know, then you'd have to make basically the enemies more powerful. How is that? How is that the game mechanics affected when you're able to control the control the um, or when you're able to have this different type of control over the items in the game? Well, um, it's it's a very fundament, fundamental change because um, you're solving a really big problem by doing by embracing this type of behavior um, as opposed to um, fight against you know um, like um, farming. Uh, that's how it's called farming for virtual items. So. Instead of saying, "Yeah, use," you know, you cannot do it, and then if you do it, you're gonna be banned. What what happens is that you will actually need to pay um, game masters that are going to run around your MMO and uh, you know figure out who is farming. You need to start developing maybe algorithm that find out. Then you need to ban them, and then people are not happy, and then you need to have the you know all technical support that need to handle people that said, "No, I wasn't farming," whatever. So <clears throat> you're eliminating a lot of overhead, which makes your game more um, profitable. You just embrace this behavior, and as a result, you don't need to, um, you know, deal with oh well, we have this many farmers, and you know how should we balance the game? And then you ban these farmers, then suddenly all you know all changes need to be rebalanced. 
So in this case, it would simplify everything because um, you, you, know, you, you don't mess with what's happening in your virtual world and you balance based on what exists and not you know, assumption of what is going to be once you finish banning everybody and so on. So, I mean, uh, will people continue to farm? I mean, or is there some sort of incentive with this where people won't farm or they're just going to continue to farm like they do? It just won't. Uh, you're just taking the approach where you don't need to um, try to ban it. Yeah, you literally embrace it. At, at that point, it's a good thing for you. If they, you know, if they oh, manage to okay. sell it, you're, getting, you're making money for you, right? So yeah. this is... So, and you, if you embrace it, you could literally in your game help them farm. <laughs> Maybe you will have virtual items that you're going to sell to them that will make this particular, you know, type of, you know, business more effective and you're going to make money on them, you know, <laughs> in addition uh -huh. to a, a second round after. So it's, an, it's a completely other dynamic. Um, you know, Diablo, for example, is facing a lot of issues, a lot of problems because, you know, the money, this, these items are actually traded for real money. And, you know, the black market is just huge and tons of issues happen. But once you embrace it, suddenly everything becomes more easy and, you know, go ahead and, you know, we're making money together. So, but anyway, so at one point, it was so much of a struggle that they stopped that. So, but here with blockchain, you can, you know, you could, you could embrace it again. It's, it's really simplifying everything. Yeah. And it starts to make it more like this real world, a real world environment as games get more immersive, uh, then people want to do more things within them. There's some people who are going to want to just go in and farm and, you know, spend all their time kind of waste their time almost, but to, to make money, whereas other people are going to be in there for, for the, fun of it but um but yeah it, it's very it because the the world becomes very immersive video game world becomes very immersive once you have non-fungible tokens or, or in-game items that you actually own you can do whatever you know you can go farm you can go play that's that's really cool yeah probably we're going to see a new generation of uh of jobs you know you're going <laughs> you will yeah. have people dedicated you know on these uh tokenized virtual items buying and selling them and maybe having strategies you know starving the market from this particular item and then selling them um at much higher prices uh we will see, i mean we already see the beginning of that now um when i just before i stopped playing world of warcraft i i was essentially just buying and selling virtual items and just growing my gold <laughs> stash that, that that's that was what what world of warcraft was for me but now you know with virtual items you could professionalize that and create tools and apps that would really simplify and automate this maybe even have bots and things like that so going to be a very very exciting um next coming years uh, uh in the game industry yeah just imagine the impact of having in-game entrepreneurs or there already are in-game entrepreneurs but if that was like became kind of an emerging emerging direction that people knew they could take because right now not a lot of people realize that they can make money kind of with these interesting angles like world of warcraft and video games but uh at, at some point probably in the near future um kids in let's say uh 
the Congo or something like that may get access to a console where they can go in and start making legit income and, and doing interesting things and get down get into the tech world that way. I mean, it's going to, there's a lot of secondary second layer effects that we don't see coming that being able to monetize playing video games is going to change a lot of things in the world in the next few years. It's going to be really interesting. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. And we're seeing the first signs, but yes, you know, if, you know, even today, if you look at the new jobs that have been, you know, created related to the streaming and, you know, the, the streaming scene and all of that, you know, essentially a couple of years ago, you would have said, yeah, that's my job. I'm speaking in front of a, of a webcam. Everybody would have laughed. Mm -hmm. But you look right now and some of them are doing like a crazy amount of money. <laughs> so, but still, it's a bad assumption to think everybody is. But um, sure, if you're in, in like a less fortunate country with lower salaries, it, it becomes, you know, a good job. <laughs> it could become a good job. So if you manage to have the audience behind that and or generate uh, revenue by playing and things like that. Well, we already saw it in China a long time ago with the farmers. Um, mm -hmm. In China now, it becomes less um, profitable because salaries goes up, but the opportunities shift then to other countries. Yeah, there's uh, this... High Fidelity just um, received some funding recently and they're going to be a, it's the team or one of the guys from the team who built Second Life. And so they're going to, sounds like basically they're going to put some version, a newer version of Second Life into a virtual reality. So I imagine when you get this full immersion of virtual reality, plus this ability to own your in-game items, it seems like for work, someone could go sit down or stand up, whatever, put their VR on and then go to their entrepreneurial life within this second life type game. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, it's just the whole world's changing when that, when that starts happening. It's, it opens up a whole universe of opportunity for people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But in, actually, in many ways, second life is already like this. This is just another way to consume this type of uh, content now um vr is still um, like a nascent market the entry barrier is pretty high but over time we will see a uh, um, progress when we see you know the progress in the in the gpu computation capabilities um we can see that the gpus in two three years are you know are going to be very powerful for for the entry um cards and so at that point, um, I think we're going to see um, this type of game really take off in, um, in, in larger audiences. So you think two or three years until the uh, GPUs are good enough for, for VR to be, for the price to come down on it and for it to be really, um, have the power to get more mainstream? Yeah, so if we look at the latest uh, GPUs, so for example, Titan X, um, that costs about a thousand bucks, you're gonna have something like um, um, 12 um, teraflops of computation power. And then when you look at the latest NVIDIA card um, that was announced um, with the ray tracing capabilities, we're speaking of 110 teraflops computation capability. Um, so the, this new generation and AMD is going to come here with something phenomenal. Um, and so when you look at this generation jump, we, 
I mean, this progress, we've never seen that. No, you know, usually you're going to have, uh, I don't know, 20% performance increase, sometimes 30. But here we, we're completely in another, you know, another world. So when this generation of cards are going to um, mature, uh, which I think in two, three years will be the case. And by mature, I mean, you know, the higher uh, pro production um, quantities um, and then further improvement on the tech itself. We're going to see 100 or $200 cards that are, you know, more powerful than um, the latest Titan X right now. So at that point, because um, right now, if you take this, the, the, the latest um, cards, and I'm not speaking of the $4,000 card, I'm speaking of, uh, you know, uh, $800, you can do VR in very good conditions. But the next problem is going to be when we go um, with higher resolution, which is kind of still needed. Even today, you know, it's uh, VR is not ideal. Um, but so yeah, I, I think two three years we're going to see uh, we're going to see uh, some substantial improvements there. How how far off do you think we are from something like um, I know there's companies working on things like VR concerts, VR say athletic events and things like that. Um, what's what's it take to stream a live event to VR? Well, there's been a lot of advancements there. Um, but again, actually, so here's the thing. If you go from, let's say, HD to 2K resolution, okay? So I'm not saying um, 4K. So from 1K to 2K, um, it turns out the, the, the size um, of the, the buffer is, is not multiplied by 2. It's multiplied by 4 because you're in two dimensions. So when you when you go then from um, 1k to 4k you see you see how substantially more bandwidth you're going to need for that so so while the the rendering um capabilities um will increase um you will also need to increase the, the bandwidth capabilities but it turns out i think the rendering will be more of a problem uh, because what we're seeing here with 5G and, and with the latest networks, you know, you know with uh, very high bandwidth um, connections, um, this thing's going to be solved um, also in, in three years. So probably we, we could do it. Yeah, that, it's going to be a fun, it's gonna be a fun uh, next few years we got coming up here. Um, oh, yeah. 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 So what's on what's on your roadmap? Where is Ultra at right now? And then what's the next what's next year look like? What's the plan? Okay, so there will be a series of major announcements that we haven't done yet. Um, so both in terms of partnerships and in terms of um, of uh, the platform features. So you know um, there are actually very few information we shared on our website as opposed to what we should but um, we will announce these things uh, in the coming um, year um, we're going to have um, uh, including like the beta release time etc will be announced in the coming months so uh, right now i can't i can't share that information 
I would say the the real size of what's displayed online right now account for maybe 10 to 15% of what we really are preparing on the back end. So that's going to be very exciting when we will be able to, when we will be allowed to release the, <laughs> the information. About yeah. It. Yeah. So the white paper you see on our website, yeah, it's exactly that 10, 20% of the actual project. <laughs> wow wow well that's great it's good it, i like under under promising and over delivering that's a that's a good strategy there um and when's the when's it look like your um your release will be for the for the platform so the, the platform is uh right now so we already have a demo of the platform working uh, that we, we show really face to face and then we will have the open beta q1 of 2019 and the platform should be released early Q2. It's going to be the very first version of the platform that people can actually have their hands on. The first version is going to be mainly for developers and a couple, uh, couple players, streamers, and whatnot. Uh, and the second part will be really like the first version that can be uh, access, accessed by everyone. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> so as we start to wind down the podcast here, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to mention about uh, Ultra? Any any last topics, and then um, and then where people can find you on the socials? Yeah, so we're heavily hiring. <laughs> cool. So uh, if you live in Paris um, and you're a developer, um, please reach out. Um, we're also opening an office in Romania, so if you're a developer and want to go there, uh, reach out. Um, and then, yeah, if there are some particular talents um, related to game industry, blockchain, maybe somewhere else, uh, don't hesitate. Go on our website, we have an email, uh, I think it's a jobs at ultra.io. Uh, you can reach out to us and uh, yeah, we can uh, talk about it. Yeah, you can go on jobs or contact at ultra.io. Uh, also, via to our website, there is uh, tons of information already about the project, which is ultra.io. And uh, also feel free, where basically we we provide most of the information about the project, most of the updates is on our Telegram channels, which is ultra underscore io. Great, great. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show, Nicholas and David. And uh, what a what a cool project! I'll definitely be watching closely as this, as it develops. And uh, it sounds like some really exciting things on the board for 2019. So um, I think a lot of people will be paying attention to see what kind of announcements you have coming out. So, um, well, until next time, my EOS podcast friends, thanks for listening and um, have a good day. Goodbye. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is, and uh, your time is just the